Welcome to this week's message at Corner Bible Church. We're so glad that you could join us. If you'd like more information on our church, you could check us out at our website, cornerbiblechurch.com, or you can like or follow us on Facebook. Now here's this week's message. Thank you for listening. How are you guys doing this morning? Are we doing all right? So I am excited to be up here and uh, share with you all today and really allow you guys to experience what we do each and every Sunday night during youth group. If you guys aren't aware, this is the youth takeover morning. So, okay, we're getting a lot of that. And so I'm wearing my hat actually today by request of the youth students. So this is how I dress all week long. The only time I normally don't wear a hat is on Sunday mornings. And they said, you have to wear your hat. You just don't look right if you're not wearing your hat. And so I said, for them, I would wear my hat up here. And so um, I apologize if it's out of your comfort zone. I apologize if all of this is out of your comfort zone with the lights and the nine square and the music and all this stuff. But oftentimes, I have come to realize that God takes us out of our comfort zones to teach us something. That's oftentimes how he works. For example, me being up here this morning is out of my comfort zone. My lane is Sunday nights. If, if I would have got asked like three, four, five years ago to come up here and speak, I'd probably have a panic attack and I'd be laying on the floor in front of the stage here somewhere. So praise God for, I can praise God for the fact that, that he's been working in me uh, through this. Now for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jared Storm. I'm one of the elders here at the church. And I serve alongside my wife, Lindsay, and we get to the opportunity to oversee the youth ministry. And so we are just uh, really excited to be up here, really excited about what God is doing, not only in the youth ministry, but in the church in general. And so with that kind of introduction, we are going to be taking a little bit of a detour from the book of Philippians this morning. We are going to be following along with where we are at on Sunday nights. And we're in the book of James. And we've been in a series titled, A Fruitful Life. A fruitful life. So this morning we are going to be in James 5, verses 7 through 12. Before we dive into the text this morning, I kind of want to do a quick overview to catch you guys up to speed in where we've been, or maybe you're not familiar with the book of James. Now James is a shorter book in the New Testament. It's only five chapters long, but it holds some amazing truths about how to walk out our Christian faith. Now, James was originally written to a Jewish audience around 40 to 50 AD. So this is approximately 10 to 12 years before the book of Philippians was written, making this potentially the oldest book in the New Testament. Now, the book was written by James, who was the half-brother of Jesus. And it's written during a time period where the church had been dispersed because of the martyrdom of Stephen, who was a deacon in the early church. So here we have this early persecuted church that's kind of spread out, that's facing oppression. And so we have James that's encouraging believers to remain faithful, to remain obedient to the Word of God. Not just having knowledge of it, but actually having godly behavior through godly wisdom. So this, this should sound like a familiar theme as we're going through the book of Philippians, It's very similar to the book of Philippians. James will actually aid believers in living authentically wise lives for Christ. See, James writes in a way that's reminiscent of Proverbs. He uses wise, direct statements. He's writing to grow the church in spiritual fruitfulness. 
So taking the things that we know to be true about God and actually applying them to our lives. Things like perseverance, things like loving equally, things like submitting to God's will, taming our tongues, walking humbly. And what we're going to be looking at this morning, having patience in suffering. Having patience in suffering. So let's go ahead and dive into our text. <clears throat> James 5, 7 through 12. It says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just are uh, grateful to be able to come together this morning and sing praise songs to you, and praise you through your word. And as we dive into your word this morning, I just pray for open ears. I pray for soft hearts that your word would just penetrate us and that we'd be able to grasp onto it and understand it more deeply and be changed after we leave this place and ready to apply your word to our lives. We just thank you so much for uh, the truths that are in your word and the fact that we get to really go through this together. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So I forgot to tell you guys <clears throat> that on Sunday nights, the group is really engaged in the word with me here. So as I'm going through the word, they, if I ask questions, I will make them rhetorical questions, but oftentimes they're raising their hands or they're shouting out, we go through this together. So feel free, if you feel led, to shout something out or raise your hand when I ask something, because I really enjoy going through it as a group. So this first question I'm going to ask, many of you probably won't raise your hand. Who in here likes to wait? There we go. That's participation there. None of us like to wait. We live in a culture of instant gratification. We don't wait like five, six, seven days for a package. What do we do? We sign up for Amazon Prime and we get it on the doorstep the next day. We are not very patient, yet God is so very patient with us. Could you imagine if his patience was like our patience? We would be in pretty big trouble. Now, for some of us in here, it may be our natural proclivity to be a little more patient, but in general, patience is hard. Now, this past week, God so graciously uh, gave me a little bit of an illustration. If you guys don't know this, um, our family's uh, baseball fans. We love baseball. Our boys play baseball. It's my favorite sport. And so, um, anyways, this past Tuesday, oh, Tuesdays and Thursdays are game days. So this past Tuesday... I'm up in the morning going through my routine, getting some food together at like 6.30, and I look over, I'm going to leave you hanging here a minute, look over, and Lincoln is coming down the stairs, my nine-year-old, in his full baseball uniform, and this is at 6.30 in the morning, 
And so, like, he is pumped. He's ready to go. It's game day. And I remind Lincoln that it's like 12 plus hours until your game. You do realize that, correct? And he's like, yeah, I know. And he spent the day patiently waiting, as patiently as a nine-year-old can wait. But he handled it well. He knew what to expect for the day, and he knew what was coming at the end of the day. So he was able to be patient. Now, how we act or react when given opportunities to be patient can sort of be a thermometer of our understanding of where our relationship with Christ is and our ability to actually understand how he's trying to grow us. And what I mean by this is our sin can either lead us to suffer, our suffering can either lead us to sin or it can be something that actually glorifies God. Our suffering can either lead us to sin or it can be something that actually glorifies God. Now, James 5, 7 through 12 is titled in my Bible, Patience in Suffering. So we have to ask ourselves, what is my suffering and am I patient in it? Suffering is different for everyone, but God will use it the same in everyone. Suffering was different in the time that James wrote this than it is for us now, but he'll use it the same way. Suffering may be different in different parts of the country, or suffering may be different in different generations, but God wants to use it the same way he did then or there as he wants to use it now in yours and my life. So maybe suffering for you is waiting in traffic. And I don't know how many of you guys go up to tulip time. It was a few weeks ago. I avoid tulip time at all costs. When I have to drive in tulip time traffic, my head wants to explode. And I'm a pretty patient person, I feel like. I hate tulip time traffic. Maybe it's waiting in line to buy groceries. Like, heaven forbid you have to go to a store to get groceries and wait in line. Maybe you're a young lady in here that's waiting for your boyfriend to pop the question. Or maybe it's something much more serious. Like you're waiting for uh, cancer treatment to be over. Or you're waiting for a loved one or a spouse to come to a saving faith in Christ. Whatever it is, we are not great at waiting. We're not very patient, especially in those things that feel like suffering. Now back in James 1, he talks about having joy in suffering. So he's addressing suffering in the first chapter. He's addressing suffering in the last chapter. James is writing to believers that are suffering for their faith. He's trying to really encourage them because suffering isn't a matter of if, but it's a matter of when. And if we've in here been alive for any amount of time, we know this. We have, are, or will suffer. It's, it's the fallen world that we live in. The fallen world that we live in. The questions that we have to ask God are, what are you trying to do here? How are you trying to change me here? What are you trying to teach me? And can I actually be patient in this? So in this passage, we'll see James challenge and encourage the church to be fruitful. This morning as we go through the text, we're going to look at three things that James is calling us to through patience. Three things that James is calling us to through patience. Number one, he's calling us to have the ability to walk by faith. Verse 7 and 8 says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, 
being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So Christ obviously isn't here yet. We can't physically touch him, physically see him. But James is saying that we have something waiting for us that is actually worth the wait. He wants us to see that even though we're living on earth, if we're following Christ, we're part of a heavenly kingdom. And our time is actually short here in light of eternity. So we are called to walk by faith. Now James uses, uses an agricultural illustration here that people of this time period would understand. And if you, you are a farmer or even a gardener in here, you may understand this as well. See, they knew what it meant to suffer through all that came with farming and then wait with a hopeful expectation of the fruit that would come. The farmer had a role in tilling and planting and tending the fields and all the work that came, all the work that was involved, yet they had to be patient. And God had a role in this as well in bringing the rain and ultimately bringing the fruit. So the farmer does his part and has faith that God will do his part. But in this, the farmer has to have the ability to walk by faith, trusting in the process. Trusting in the process that God has going on. See, farmers in this time didn't have modern-day irrigation and fertilization. right? They didn't go out and turn the knob, get the sprinkler going. That's not how it worked. We live in a world where we don't have to have the need to walk by faith. We have alternatives. We don't have to walk by faith. We have alternatives. So what are your alternatives? Do we have methods to remain comfortable in waiting? Or do we actually engage in what God has going on? Do we engage in what he's trying to do in our lives to shape us and change us? We have to not look to the alternatives, but as the scripture here says, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord. Meaning we have to be rooted and grounded in the word of God. See, God has called us to be patient in our suffering the way the same way he's called us to find joy in our suffering. Just because we're believers doesn't mean that we're not going to suffer. What our believer in Christ's status should actually do is change our perspective on suffering. It should actually give us the ability to be patient. And patience can only come through times of suffering when we're led by the Holy Spirit and have Christ's perspective. Having Christ's perspective is one of those things that actually sets us apart as believers. Now, how many of us in here <clears throat> have had to suffer through something and you'd actually do it all over again because of the exponential growth that God did in your life? Right? We'd do it all over again. Now, I fall into this category. I also fall into the category that I never want to do that again. Like, I learned from that, I'd never want to go back there. God oftentimes does not lead us in the way that is easy or comfortable. That's why we're called to a 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, walk by faith, not by sight. Now, is anyone in here afraid of heights? Okay. <laughs> That's not as many hands as I thought. <laughs> not anyone, there's not many afraid of heights. So I am not really afraid of heights. Within reason, I guess. 
But if I'm up high with someone who's afraid of heights, what do we tell them? Thank you, Winter. You're good at this. Don't look down. What happens when you look down? Fear sets in. You want to hold on tight. Fear sets in. My lens leads to fear and captivity. My perspective leads to fear and captivity. Christ's lens or Christ's perspective leads to spiritual growth and freedom. For example, back in the book of uh, the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, when God was leading the people out of Egypt, instead of taking them down the easier, more direct route, what does he do? God takes them through the wilderness. And why would God do this? Why would God take them on a route that seemed much more difficult? He wanted his presence to be seen and he wanted his presence to be known. He wanted the people to look to him as the guide. And when they did, he did. He led by by a pillar of cloud in the day, led by a pillar of fire at night. Now, I don't know about you, I've had seasons of my life where things are going good, going down the easy path, and I'm not praying much, I'm not looking to God much. Things are going smooth. What happens when we get on that tumultuous path? Right? We're praying a little more. Right? We're seeking God out. God will provide ways for us to walk by faith, even if it means through being patient. The Israelites probably aren't always the best example, but I'd say they did some waiting before they were actually able to enter into the promised land. So can we be patient through our suffering in order to build our ability to walk by faith? Can we walk by faith in order to enter into the life that God has actually promised us? Number two, the second thing that James calls us to. He's called us to commitment and contentment in and to Christ. Verse 9 says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So how do we stand before Christ, and not just at the end of our time here, but every day, how do we stand before Christ? It's our natural tendency to grumble when things don't go the way that we plan or the way that we expect. I think it's one of those things that's actually kind of slipped into being an acceptable sin. James is cautioning against the sin of grumbling, knowing that it's actually what the strain of suffering can produce. So how many of us grumble when we're suffering in patience? How many of us are in traffic, mumbling under our breath, or giving some kind of hand gesture that we probably shouldn't give? That made the first service laugh. Darn, struck out on that one. Philippians 2.14 says it this way, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ you may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So refraining from grumbling shows and builds our commitment to Christ and our love for one another. Refraining from grumbling ensures our efforts aren't without purpose. Paul's saying the same thing here in Philippians, that grumbling to one another is not only sin against God, but it's actually a wasted opportunity when 
we handle things the way that the world handles things. This happens when our passions, our preferences, our perspectives are wrapped up in me, wanting to be as comfortable as possible here and now and no care beyond that. We're called as believers to take the focus off ourselves, even if we feel like we have a reason to grumble, and put our focus on others. One of the marks of the church is that we love one another. John 13.35 says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So do we do this? Maybe you're grumbling toward others because of some kind of envy or some kind of injustice. Or maybe you're just a critical person at times. Or maybe your grumbling is more directed at God. You're not very happy with the hand he's dealt you or the season of life you're in, and you can't seem to see it any other way except as punishment. I'm here to tell you that we are called to patiently endure as we shine like a light in the world by holding fast to the word of God. See, our contentment can show our level of commitment. The more our commitment to Christ builds, the more our contentment will be present and the more satisfied we'll actually be in where God has us in life, whether it's up high or down low. John Piper says it this way, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So are we only loving or only joyful or only patient when we're up on the mountaintop? Or can we actually praise him in the suffering, praise him in the storms of life? Can we endure temporal trials or sufferings while we patiently wait on the work that he's doing in us? The same way that the farmer waits for the fruit of the harvest. Patience in this life will display our commitment to Christ and our contentment in Christ. The third thing that James is calling us to, the third thing is steadfastness. Verse 10 and 11 says, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Now, Dean hit on Job just a little bit last week, and Job is really a classic example from the Old Testament of a man who patiently endured suffering and was blessed by it. He was blessed by his faithfulness. And like Job, God has purpose in the things that we see as suffering. He has purpose in the things that we see as suffering. He wants to bring us to Christ-likeness. He wants to bring us to maturity in our faith. I'm going to steal a quote from Davis from a few weeks ago. Davis said, As you grow to be like Jesus through the midst of our suffering, the more we are going to look and love like him. So our faith should change the way we live no matter the circumstances. You see, God will bring purpose to the path that we are on the same way that we do for our own kids. As parents, we discipline our kids. We allow them to patiently suffer through things. How many of us in here have heard, are we there yet, are we there yet, are we there yet, are we there yet, are we there yet? Only one person has heard that. Oh, two. (laughs) If you are a parent, you have heard that. (laughs) 
right? There is joy in the place you're going. That's why they're asking, are we there yet? Or maybe we have them do things that's out of their comfort zone, right? We are pushing them out of their comfort zone because we know that it's what's good for them. As parents, there is purpose in the things we do. We eventually want our own kids to grow to maturity. We want them to not only be a useful member in society, but more importantly, a useful member in the kingdom of God. I'll try to explain it this way. Our comfort is to never have suffering, whether it's physical, emotional, mental, or spiritual. And isn't it ironic that The water is not up here on the mountaintop. It's usually where? Down in the valley. That's where all the water is. Point being, God has purpose for us in the valleys. He wants us to be replenished. He wants us to be filled with living water. So we have to allow our comforts to be killed. It's only when our sinful, I want to stay comfortable as possible, way of thinking is dead, that we can fully live our new life in Christ. 2 Corinthians 2, 17 and 18 says, For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Now, all of us in here are captivated by those rags-to-riches stories that they make millions of dollars off of in Hollywood. But that's actually the gospel story. That's the story that we are a part of. We were lost, we were broken, and now we have new life in Christ and we get to go to glory. And we can see through the story of Job and many others like it throughout the Bible that God allows us to go through things for a purpose. And we have said as we're going through Philippians that joy is actually resting in God's definition of good. Likewise, to be patient in suffering is to rest in what God's definition of good is. So can we trust that what God says is good is actually good? Not do we believe in God, do we trust God? Now, how many of us in here heat our homes with wood or have a wood fireplace? About the same amount as last service, a handful. And how many of us in here enjoy cutting and splitting the firewood? All right. I got a couple friends in here. (laughs) I actually am one of those weirdos that enjoys cutting and splitting firewood. I find it somewhat therapeutic for whatever reason, But I used to be a lot like my boys. My boys do not enjoy doing wood very much. I've grown to the point where I actually find joy in the labor for what it produces. My boys view this strictly as work and as suffering. And I have to continually remind them and encourage them that even though they don't see it now, if they can patiently suffer through this, they are going to reap the benefits come wintertime. We live in Michigan. We all know it's going to get cold here again in like four or five months. So we'll be ready for what we know is coming if we remain steadfast in the work that's before us. James says, Those who remain steadfast will be blessed. For we as believers know what is coming 
in this present life and suffering doesn't compare to the future glory. So do we allow our patience to display steadfastness? Do we allow our patience to display steadfastness? James ends this section with verse 12. He says, But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. So James is echoing Jesus from Matthew 5.37 here, where Jesus says, Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So James here is really just inviting us into straightforward and honest speech. And James has expressed throughout the book of James how our conduct, which also includes our speech, reveals our heart and it reveals our spiritual condition. So the things that we say will expose our ability to actually walk by faith. The things that we say will actually expose our commitment to Christ. The things that we say will expose our steadfastness. So as we wrap up here, I would like you all to, champ, to evaluate whose perspective you have. Do you have your perspective or do you have Christ's perspective? No matter what you may be facing, no matter what you may be going through, can we display Christ in our conduct? Now remember how Lincoln came down the stairs with his uniform on. He was ready for game day. His suffering through the day didn't seem so bad because he knew the expectation. And he trusted his father was going to fulfill his end of the deal in getting him to the destination. Not at 7.15 in the morning, but at 7.15 at night. His father was going to fulfill his end of the deal in getting him to the destination. How excited are we about our destination? Not just the destination, the road it takes to get there. So let us not sin in our suffering, but bring glory to God because we are able to be patient in our suffering. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us for this week's message here at Corner Bible Church. If you would like more audio resources, please follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. Or you can go online and visit us on our webpage at cornerbiblechurch.com.